revisioning and, and really trying to recapture, to recapture disciple-making and how God's vision for us comes into play with that. Now, Ali, in a wonderful way, pointed us towards a special day. The first Sunday in September will be a time where we will commit our resources toward a $1.2 million project. The good news is that interest rates aren't at 16 and 17%. But we're going to go out in faith, and so I want you to begin to pray about what your role is and the kind of sacrifice you'll make. But more importantly, I want us to look at kind of the bigger picture as a church and individually. So find your place in worship over the next five, six, seven weeks as we journey together. Now let me ask you this question. Where are you on the journey? I want you to evaluate, I want you to assess where you are on the journey as a follower of Jesus Christ in a spiritual pilgrimage in this thing called discipleship, where are you? I'm not asking anybody to evaluate someone else. I'm asking you to evaluate yourself. The Scripture tells us. Paul says, examine yourself. I want you to do that. And we begin today. Where are you on the journey? Could it be that you're saying to me, Tim, I'm on the journey. I've been on the journey, but I'm a little stuck. I'm I'm kind of standing still, or at least I'm not moving fast. And there's something in me that yearns for more, that hungers for something greater. I know there's more for me. Maybe if you were honest, you would say to me, you know, I've been in the church for a number of years, but I've never really stepped up to the starting line. I've, I, I've come to church, and I've, and I've been a good church member. I've been faithful. But I've never formally, never intentionally invited Christ into my life. I've never asked the Lord to lead me. Well, I want to say thanks for being honest. If that is your story, thank you for being authentic and genuine. And you may be surprised that you're on that journey more than you think you are. And then for another category, where are you on the journey? Some of you may say, I've reached the destination. I've arrived. We'll need to talk. (laughs) Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you recognize that we're all at different places. That you've called us to move forward. Help us to have a vision for where we are to be, where you long for us to be. 
And so open our spiritual eyes, unlock our deaf ears, and help us to recapture, to reclaim your purpose, to revision what you would have for us, that we might glorify you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, if you were in category three, I have arrived. Just being around you, we're both in trouble. You're going to be hard to live with. (laughs) And I'm concerned about you because if you've decided that you've arrived, you've got so far to go. If you've decided and somehow think that you've arrived, you've not arrived. And and maybe number two applies to you. Uh, You feel as though you really never started But I want to suggest to you that God has been working in your life, has been courting you, if you would, has been wooing you, and John Wesley calls this a beautiful thing, prevenient grace, grace that precedes our actual decision to follow Christ. And so, uh, for you, he, He has moved you along. Now, like a good relationship, there comes, for example, in marriage, the need for a covenant, a promise to be made. And I want to encourage you that maybe over these next couple of weeks, you would decide to be intentional in inviting Christ into your life. But I would suggest to you that God's fingerprints are all over your story where He's been working in disguise. You're on the journey. I would venture to say most of us are in that other category that I started with. The one where we've seen some progress. We're grateful for how far Christ has taken us. But we also realize that the farther we go, the farther we must go. And that there is a holy discontent within us. There is a spiritual hunger. There is a drive that wants something more. We want to move beyond mediocrity. We want to move beyond complacency. We're not where we need to be. And I would venture to say that most of us in this room are there. And so it's my prayer that in all of these categories, God would move us in special ways and we would take the limits off of God in terms of our lives and that we would take the limits off of ourselves. That was one of the struggles in Deuteronomy, the story of the people of God in transition. And Moses and his followers stand at the bank of the Jordan and somewhere in between the wilderness and the promised land, and they've got a decision to make. It's a defining moment for them. 
And in this particular passage that Jimmy read for us, they actually, he is referencing how they've come to a mountain. They're on the cusp. They're on the edge of the promised land. And he says to them, God says through Moses, you have stayed long enough on the mountain. You have stayed long enough. Break camp and advance into the hill country. Because, see, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession. Go in and take possession. You've you've been here long enough. And I really believe that's kind of the message for us today, is that that holy discontent that is in us is a stirring, possibly from the Lord, that we've been here long enough. We have circled the mountain. It has been comfortable for us. A.W. Tozer calls it the dictatorship of the customary. And Israel had become accustomed to walking around in circles in this blissful content in the safety of the mountain. And yet God says, go and dwell on the mount. Turn you and take your journey. Even for us as a church, I wonder if we've rested at the mountain. And the promised land is waiting for us. All of us individually and collectively as a congregation can get in a rut. Someone defined the difference between a rut and a grave as this. The only difference is a grave is a little deeper and it doesn't have the ends knocked out. Were you once close to God? Did your, did your faith in Christ seem more intimate, more real? 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago. And the question for us is, what has changed and what would draw us closer? What would move us from rut to renewal? Well, one key question is, how did we get stuck in a rut? (laughs) Well, I, I think there are a couple of answers, and some of those are in your message notes. One is just carelessness. We've not been as attentive to some of the things that we've needed to be attentive to. We've gotten a little lazy in our relationships, our spiritual lives, some of the disciplines that have been holy habits for us to maintain and have strengthened us. There's been a neglect, possibly, misplaced priorities. I think about good things squeezing out the better things. There are many things good things that we can be a part of, but they may not be the best thing. And what Paul says in the New Testament, he describes it as a condition called double-mindedness. And he says, you're, you're about some, some good things, but you also have a foot in the world, and you have a foot in, in the kingdom. And, and you're discontented because of that, because you can't fully engage in the world because there's just enough guilt where it's not pleasurable, or just for a season it may be. 
And then you've got one foot in the kingdom of God, and you can't be fully blessed because you're not fully committed. And so you don't get all that God really wants to offer you. And so you're double-minded. And, and we see in Revelation that the word lukewarm is used. You're tepid. And what happens is failing to address this issue allows the disease of routine and the customary to make us grow numb. It even happens in worship. It happens in worship. We come into worship. We have it on our calendar, and I'm glad you did today. And there's a couple of things that you can expect. And, and we have an order of worship. But I believe that God wants to work in between those elements as well as in those elements. And so sometimes we get so locked into our routine that we become callous to something new that Christ would have in us. We don't expect much, and so we don't get much. And that's why it's important for us to come into the sanctuary with a sense of holy expectation and anticipation that God really has a, a word for us. But so often we come in and we say, you know, I'll be serenaded and soothed by the choir. I, I sure hope the pastor can wow us today and, and we lose touch of even why we're here, that Christ is the audience and we're the prompters of worship. It's likened to the, the baptism water that, that was used. If we allow it to stay it, and never do anything with it and keep the top on the font, it will grow stale and stagnant, and old. And I'm praying that we as a church, we as a church will move forward like Israel. We as a church can be likened to Israel in the security of the mountain, which can represent our spiritual condition. But I pray that we'll go and do what Moses communicated from the Lord, to lay hold of what's before us, and to move away from the right. It can happen in any category in our lives, can't it? It can happen in the workplace. It can happen in our families. I remember uh, one couple I was counseling with, and they had been married for 25 years, and there had not been any unfaithfulness on either one of their parts. But she said it well. She said, you know, we wake up, we, we look at each other. She says, he sees me with no makeup on. I smell his body odor. We look at each other and we say, after 25 years, is this all there is? And I think sometimes in our own faith walk, our journey, we have so become rote and routine, that there's a little bit of us that says, surely there's more? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And in marriage and in our relationship with the Lord, I think it's as one wise person said, 
Tim, if you feel that you're at a distance from the Lord, if you feel that you've lost some intimacy with God, go back to the place where you first found that. Or at least go back to the last place where you experienced that. I ask you that question, where was that for you? Well, how do we move from rut to renewal? How do we move from the routine to revival in our own lives? And church history has taught us that there are two key components. They're not flashy, but they're true. That will come into play if we seek spiritual renewal on the journey. If we're able to lay hold of that which is greater than what we have in terms of the things that God would have for us. And one of those is the word repentance. The word repentance. You see in your message notes, even in the Old Testament, it surfaces in verse 14 of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will, and I want you to look at the verbs here, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The word repentance is a very simple word to understand. It means to do an about face. It means to turn away from and turn toward God. It means moving away from destructive thinking and thoughts and behaviors to things that are healthy and productive and bring spiritual vitality. We struggle with it, and especially men, when it comes to turning around. Before GPSs came out and iPhones, this I think Delia is grateful for them. Uh, because we would travel uh, down a road, and I would say, honey, I, I've got a sense of where this is. And she says, well, you know, you, you've had a sense for quite a while. Are you sure? And, I, and I'll say, it's in this general area. And she'll say, should we not stop and ask someone for help? And I'll say, no, because I have a sense of direction, and I know where I'm going. But the problem was I wasted 45 minutes. And all I had to do was to turn from my wicked ways. (laughs) To turn from my lost way. Seek help. And move in the right direction. And it's not just repentance in terms of the things that we consider, if you would, elevated vices. It can have to do with our attitudes and the feelings that we have towards others. You know, one of the things we know is that something that stands as a partition in terms of our relationship with Christ that diminishes the intimacy is when we fail to ask for forgiveness. When we fail to acknowledge that there's a problem And so when we begin to take those healthy steps where we begin to say, I have missed the mark, I have blown it, and I need help beyond myself, and I need the grace of God, which is sufficient 
and forgives all sin. That's when renewal can really begin to happen. That, that's when I begin to, to draw closer to God, and, and God has been drawing closer to me. But then there's something else. The Scripture says, don't go to the altar unless you have reconciled with your brother or sister. And one of the struggles for us is we have so much pride. If my people would humble themselves and seek my face and pray, I will heal their land and forgive their sin. And there's a sense in which we want the mercies of God. We want the grace of God. And in turn, we must show that to others. And when we begin to do that, it draws us close to the Lord. Because we are, we are acting most like the Lord at that moment. And so, the word is repentance, if you're taking notes. Repentance. It's an acknowledgement of wrong and the need for reconciliation. Doesn't sound real flashy, does it? Takes a good bit of work. But it's real. And the other is surrender. Even Peter highlights, it's almost as he's, although he's echoing the Second Chronicles passage, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Surrender. There is a humiliation that takes place, a humbling before exaltation. In other words, that principle of once we are willing to acknowledge we have not arrived and we are not where we need to be, it is at that point that we surrender and God begins to lift us up to a different level, to move us to a different place. And oh, how He longs for that. He longs for it more than, than we want it. We understand this with our own children, don't we? It wasn't too long ago I was having a conversation with one of my children. And I want to protect them in this, but I, uh, I just I said, you know, your, your mother and I have done everything we can to position you to be successful. And I listed those. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't very humble, but, but I, I listed them as a reminder of our love. This is just one manifestation of our love, is these things. And now you're ready to take the next step And it's up to you, because we can't want this for you. You ever said that to somebody? We can't want this for you. And it was as though the Spirit really was working in that moment, because it took a lot of the burden off of me. We had done our part, and now we were saying, it's time for you to do your part. And really, I believe that's kind of what Moses was saying to the people of God as he was a spokesperson for God. 
God was saying, look, the promised land is there. I have set you up for success. I have pos- I've positioned you for prosperity. But I can't want this for you. You've got to be willing to be willing. That needs to be your prayer. Lord, make me willing to be willing. And that is a point of surrender. That is a point when we come and we turn our hearts away from those things that that are misplaced priorities and distractions, we begin to look at the pilgrimage again and say, there's more for me. God has more for me, and I'm going to remove the limits on God and myself to be all that he wants me to become. I I, I long for that. I, I hunger for that. When we begin to want that for ourselves, it's a beautiful thing. John Wesley called it a second work of grace. He called that first work of grace when we, when we give our lives to Christ and we say, I've got, I've got eternal life because of the work of the cross. I have salvation. I have redemption. I have eternity to, to live with God. The second work of grace is where we say, God, I want you to have all of me. I want you to have every category of my life. I want you to have my my thinking and my finances and my relationship and my career. I want you to have it all. I don't want to compartmentalize it anymore. I, I want you to have it all. And it's going to be a process of me surrendering and turning that over to you. But I want you to have it. I want you to have it. He called that moment the second work of grace. Isn't that beautiful? On the journey, that is a crucible moment. That's a crisis moment. It's a defining moment when we say, have all of me. And it's at that point that we move from the shallow end in our spiritual lives I think about when I was a little boy, I, uh, I went to Southland Pool, and they had the, uh, John, they had the kitty section, and then they had the shallow end of the big pool and the dip, deep end of the pool. And I had moved from the kitty section with all those obnoxious kids, because I had grown up some, and all those parents watching everything you do, to the shallow end. And I even got to change trunks from my swimming trunks went from Winnie the Pooh to Scooby-Doo I mean it was it was like a rite of passage and for a couple of years I enjoyed it but I had some older buddies and they were like Stefan we're going down to the deep end and we're gonna have a blast you ought to come and I had my little float and I was happy and And I thought, why do they want to do that? We're having a good time here. But they kept trying to sell me on it. Come on, Stephen, jump in, you sissy, you chicken, come on. For me, it was a defining moment when I took that little inner tube off and put it on the side of the pool and got out. And then walk to the deep end. <laughs> and there they were having a blast. And they're saying, jump. 
jump. You're going to love it. And buddy, I went back to that chain leap fence and I thought about it. And then I took a running start and I leaped and I was suspended in air. And just for a moment I thought, what have I done? <laughs> and as I did the cannonball by accident, I hit the water. I came back up on the inside. I wouldn't show it to them. I was like, I'm alive, I'm alive. Never left the deep end. The sad part today is some of us never have left the shallow end. We've come to church. We've done our routine. But we've never experienced the fullness of the joy of Christ in us. And God wants so much more for us. D.L. Moody was a, a shoe salesman, and he was in the Chicago area. Had very little means, and he went to a revival, and the evangelist was preaching, and the evangelist was letting loose. I mean, he just was really putting the gospel out there, and, and he was preaching from the scriptures, and, and he began to close out his scriptures and his preaching moment and he said God is looking God is looking for one person just one person who will be totally sold out for Jesus Christ and if one person would be totally sold out for Jesus Christ the world would be changed and D.L. Moody wept and he went to the altar and he said, I want to be that man. Now, if you know anything about D.L. Moody, he has an obnoxious voice. He doesn't have a good preaching voice. And it was real high-pitched. And he'd say, Christ has redeemed your life. And you almost cringe. But people gave their lives to Christ one right after another, helping to bring some revival here in the United States because one person said, I want to give all. All that I am and all that I am not. I don't have an eloquent voice, but I want to surrender to one that wants to do something great in me. And today, I want to say to you, God wants to do a great thing in you. And God together wants us to do a great thing. And we have that opportunity. It's time to pack up from the mountain. It's time to go to the promised land. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.